Okay, welcome back. Um, I hope you all had a nice cup of tea or biscuits or whatever. We have very good biscuits, by the way, here. That won't last. Well, we'll employ a management accountant, and the first thing they'll do is get rid of the biscuits. Um, a couple of things I, want, I need to say administratively. Uh, when we finish here, would you make sure you take your coat, cases or whatever, from the room you put them in? Uh, earlier. Okay? Uh, the other thing I, I must say, and of course we've already said it earlier, is to thank our sponsors. The sponsors have put up with us for 35 years now, uh, which does seem rather a long while. Uh, and it's very nice to have um, a sponsorship where SEMA and the English Institute are uh, both involved. Uh, I'm not sure there are many other uh, examples of that, so that's very nice. And, um, you know, basically, uh, one of our important things we've done re recently is have um, a distinguished uh, academic or distinguished practitioner lecture. And I'm very pleased, therefore, to welcome um, Keith Luck. Uh, to give the Distinguished Practitioner Lecture. Um, you have his CV, uh, and, well, you have a biography, and um, it is rather wide and comprehensive. Um, you know, uh, starting, you know, starting off with BT, uh, a number of years in the private sector, and then in the public sector, and so on, and also um, being the what first management accounting or any other accountant, I assume, in um, uh, the Metropolitan Police. You know, um, number two. Yeah. Well, one, number one for this purpose. <laughs> it does rather strike one that you know we've had an enormous number of crime series or police investigation type series on television. We've yet to have one where the hero is the accountant in the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> um, I won't. I mean, I, I, I won't go on because it's all here. Um, it's very good to um, welcome him, and um, I, I suppose the other thing that does worry me a little bit is that um, it's. I think it's 27 years since I was president of SEMA. I'm not quite sure what that, what that implies, but whatever it implies, I think it's a bit worrying. Uh, and, I and I was quite young when I started as well. OK, uh, thank you very much for coming, and it's very nice to have a, a, a distinguished speaker from SEMA with such a vast experience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Why don't I come round there, it just feels like uh, you can connect a little better, and I can um, talk you through what I think is quite a daunting subject. What is it that one does during the day, how do you explain that to others, um, and describe where one adds value? It's also quite daunting to be described as a distinguishing practitioner, or a distinguished practitioner, so I'll leave you to judge that uh, later. Um, but actually coming here this evening, and I'm delighted to be here, um, I'm thrilled to see so many people uh, in the audience. I I'm fine. If people can hear, if people can hear, then that's fine. Um, to see so many people in the audience, but also um, to say that, uh, as Michael said, SEMA itself is delighted to be uh, a long-serving um, sponsor of this particular event. Uh, and indeed to meet some old friends once again. Coming here this evening again is quite symbolic. This uh, is my CV shows, and I can talk about that a little bit more later. Um, I'm still in a full-time day job, so this is really the point at which my day job merges with my evening job as an honorary officer within SEMA. And as you can see, I'm currently deputy president, so all being well, the conveyor belt moves on on the 7th of June later this year, and I should end up being president. Um, 
quite how one balances a full-time day job uh, with a demanding employer uh, with the uh, increasingly international and overseas uh, challenges of being president uh, is something that I'm looking forward to finding out. Um, I think also, um, really, in thinking through this uh, particular presentation, I'd probably describe it as a talk rather than a lecture, um, I, I think, again, reflecting back on that idea of what is it I do, how do I do it, uh, where does the management account and add value, I'm not quite sure I've answered that, so maybe in the Q&A session towards the end of the hour, uh, you can help me with that, and if I haven't uh, done so, then certainly do speak up and ask questions. Um, the other uh, really interesting thing to note is, of course, this is on the web. So being in a commercial uh, organisation, operating competitively, I've got to be very careful uh, what I say about how we do uh, and indeed what we do. So um, I don't have a series of slides. I don't have a whole uh, uh, list of um, things to run through that uh, you've already pre-seen. So in some respects, it'll be a case of having to listen, drop uh, one or two things down. But I do have a few props, and they, fortunately, were also in your bag. So you've got access to those uh, as well. Um, I suppose, where should I start? Well, if this is all about management, accounting, and strategic partnerships, and how they deliver uh, success, this is from a practitioner's perspective. So I think we all understand, or we should understand, I think, what management accounting is about. Actually, that's not quite as straightforward as it sounds, because in the global management accounting principles, we slightly redefine the standard definition of management accounting. Um, I think what we are agreed that it's about is improving decision-making, building stronger and sustainable organisations. Actually, it often, we often refer to businesses, but I, as you've heard, I've worked in the public sector, uh, and indeed our mission is to organisations. There's a little asterisk that says public and private sector uh, in that. Um, so that new definition of, or, or slightly revised definition of management accounting is something that we've gone out to consultation on as part of our global management accounting principles. Um, what about strategic partnerships? Well, as I'll explain, I've actually worked within the strategic partnership division of CERCA. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about what Serco uh, does uh, and my role in that. But I guess, um, why do we come together in strategic partnerships? What is it that one organisation on its own can deliver for the customer, whoever that might be, public or private sector? And indeed, I'll talk, uh, many of uh, our customers are governments and indeed the public sector. But there's something about even being a substantial, as we were, FTSE 100 company, why is it that one organisation can't bring all the skills, resources needed to deliver a service or uh, to undertake a contract? So we do need to partner with others, and again, that's quite an interesting process if you choose. We compete many times with people and partner with them in other areas, so that's an interesting uh, relationship uh, to manage. How do you find a partner? How do you uh, make sure that partners are equally motivated to take on risk? Uh, manage that risk, uh, put in the, the resources required, uh, and to share the benefits of outcome, or indeed the pain, when things don't go well. And as a practitioner, I suppose that third point, uh, that very much is my day job. So that day job is as a finance and commercial director of Serco's Strategic Partnerships uh, Division. So let me talk about Serco, Strategic Partnerships, Perhaps a little bit about me and how I've managed to get there, what my role is fourthly, and then, as I say, to reflect on the input of uh, a management account. Uh, I guess audience participation time. Hands up those who've heard of Serco. <laughs> ah, now that actually is interesting. Um, because Serco was once the um, FTSE 100 company that nobody had ever heard of. Um, and uh, I guess the interesting thing, and one of the reasons we need to be careful, is uh, we've had a bit of a sorry time uh, of late. Uh, the last six to nine months have been an interesting uh, place to be in the, in the uh, private sector, uh, resulting, as people will know, if you know a little bit about the company, a lot of our chief executive for the global group 
uh, just before Christmas, a lot of our chief executive for UK and Europe, and um, uh, some interesting discussions and dialogue uh, with our largest customer, UK central government. Uh, we've worked our way through most of that now, and in fact you may have heard that Rupert Soames, um, an interesting individual described as a bucket-earing entrepreneur in the press, uh, will come on the 1st of June to be our new chief executive, uh, and indeed <coughs> several other pieces of work collectively described as the corporate renewal plan are now in place uh, and indeed being monitored uh, by UK central government. One of those was actually that we split UK and Europe into two, a central government division and then what we call local regional governments uh, and strategic partnerships that uh, sits within central government. Most of our strategic partnerships are delivering contracts for UK central government. Um, although actually we do support uh, work being done, partnership work being done in our four or five divisions uh, around the world. So Serco itself um, was a FTSE 100 company. There was a terrific little uh, email that came out that said we're now in the FTSE 250. Uh, having been in the 100, that shouldn't be good news, but it was presented actually as quite good news. <laughs> it was quite all way and the price of chocolate has increased or decreased, so it clearly hadn't. So we were a FTSE 250 company, uh, 130,000 staff. Actually, three years ago when I joined, it was 70,000 staff, 50 odd thousand had joined on contracts which were transferred from uh, the public sector. It had a very strong public sector ethos. Um, and actually, it does have um, interesting, very, very strong values, which is why I joined Serco uh, and not some of the other uh, service companies. Um, we acquired a, an organisation in India called Intelinet. We added um, 130,000 staff almost overnight. The company became 250,000 plus big. Uh, if you like, it sort of changed 90 degrees from being a UK company delivering public services in the UK to uh, an organisation which delivers business processing outsourcing through uh, companies based in India and so on and so forth. So perhaps an interesting time at which management uh, were integrating organisations uh, and the only several of those who say, well, uh, be interesting to write up that particular uh, strategic move later and to uh, take a view on how successful that might have become. So as I say, five regions, uh, UK is the largest, but uh, to give a sense of context then, um, if, if Serco's a 500 billion organisation, strategic partnerships contributes, in terms of turnover, uh, a billion of that. It's 20% of the size of the company. So it's substantial. People might think that Serco delivers services, um, takes people from the private sector, they're outsourced, or the public sector, they're outsourced, etc. Um, but there is a big part of our organisation which says, no, we do things in a different way. We actually combine with other organisations to find ways where we can build synergy to improve um, services, not necessarily through straight outsourcing. Uh, and indeed, that's been part of a substantial part of our growth uh, elsewhere in the organisation. So it's almost a bit that if you don't know about Circo, you perhaps don't know that we did that sort of thing like talk a little bit about those uh, companies. Um, just to give a sense of scale, um, here in London, uh, the bike scheme is run by Serco. I've actually carried out a review on the bike scheme, um, uh, the Boris bikes and the Barclays bikes, as you might know them. The DLR is run by Serco. Uh, prisons are run by Serco. An interesting uh, time down in Belmarsh West, otherwise known as Tensite, part of private uh, prison estate. Uh, community payback schemes are run by Serco, etc. Um, so it is a big organisation, but largely invisible. And indeed, uh, one of our strategic partners I'll talk about later, Abilio, um, Dutch, um, uh, well, owned by Dutch government, in fact, uh, the buses for Abilio just ran outside this building. So, you know, you can walk down the street and I can think, well, that's one of our partners. And I was only yesterday with the chief executive of Abilio and the senior team talking about uh, one of our uh, particular strategic partnerships. So if that's Serco, um, strategic partnerships itself, as I said, about 20% in terms of turnover. Uh, our biggest contract, and Serco's uh, biggest contract in the UK, is um, AWE, 
Uh, I think you might know that. It's all the Marston, the Atomic Weapons um, Establishment, which interestingly has been commercialised. It's a PLC. Um, and Serco, in conjunction with two other uh, large strategic organisations, runs that facility. Um, and I probably won't say much more about that. Um, it's a take-out contract overall. Um, the strategic deterrent in the UK is worth a billion. Three companies involved in that. It doesn't take the uh, accountants long to work out that three, we're in third shares, is just over 300 million turnover per annum for each of those organisations. Um, but it's our responsibility um, to deliver uh, what AWE is required to deliver. The other big contract, um, and uh, the thing being success um, today, uh, is around Northern Rail. Northern Rail, to give you a sense of scale, um, it's uh, 5,000 staff, but there's 2,500 train units a day. Virgin Rail, you might have heard of, there's 300 to put it in scale. It's the largest um, uh, <coughs> regional rail contract in the UK. Um, and indeed, only today we announced the extension of our Northern Rail franchise for a further 22 months. And indeed, I was involved only yesterday in agreeing with various um, uh, stock exchange announcements and figures that uh, went out to the market. Uh, interestingly, our share price went down about uh, uh, half a percent today on the back of the announcement. Um, one could argue that's actually not a bad thing. Uh, in the refranchising, there's a new way of uh, costing access to track, uh, so that when our trains roll across um, network rail, uh, actually our turnover is slightly less because we pay less for that. Um, and indeed, the uh, stock exchange had picked up, it was in the announcements, a reduction in what's called track access fees. So, in effect, it looks like the turnover in Serco has reduced as a result of our franchising agreement. Um, frankly, it's straight in the top line, straight out the bottom. Uh, there's no margin on it. So, actually, just explaining that to the market has been uh, quite useful. Because, uh, of course, one of the things we have done is a couple of uh, so called profits warnings, um, and therefore, uh, these sorts of announcements are closely watched. Um, I won't go through other sorts of um, organisations that sit in strategic partnerships, but they're the sorts of organisations uh, that we have. I actually sit on an advisory board to the directors of uh, AWE Management Limited that sits on top of AWE PLC, uh, but I'm also a, a director on the board of Northern Rail, uh, what's called the Holdings Company, and I also sit on the operational board of Northern Rail, the so-called OPCA, the operating company. So immediately you're getting some interesting structures of how partners come together to manage complex organisations, make sure that the executives that we put in at a point to run those organisations are doing so well, uh, and indeed that the partners themselves come together in some forum, um, actually in, uh, in Northern Rail, it's three plus three, uh, advised by three others that uh, come from the board, the Chief Operating Officer, the Chief Finance Officer and the uh, Managing Director, uh, to uh, make those various decisions. So, Strategic Partnerships itself, interestingly, um, Managing Director of which, and I have a dotted line there and a hard line up to the CFO uh, in uh, Serco, the Managing Director is, interestingly, a Management Accountant. And a number of people who work within strategic partnerships are management accountants. So there might be something about the style or approach that management accountants bring to the ways that uh, uh, we build this business uh, and perhaps why they're quite successful. Uh, we also work very much on the matrix structure. So I have dotted line responsibilities over the finance directors that sit in businesses, of which there are several, um, but I have very few staff who report directly to me. Um, and indeed, many of the accounting staff are based offshore uh, and overseas. So I have a head of finance, a couple of other people, and that's really it at head office. So an awful lot of these things I'm uh, doing myself without the support that uh, would have been there in the past of a large team in a UK-based office uh, somewhere. 
Um, when my managing director uh, said we tapped on the shoulder and said we'd like to move into strategic partnerships, um, I said, well, that's very interesting. I was doing something else at the time, why me? Uh, you, he said, you think strategically, you're good at partnerships, and you're an accountant. So being the finance director of strategic partnerships, uh, he said it seemed to be a good move. Um, and as I say, a hugely interesting area to work in. Um, the thing I have been doing and haven't quite finished is a review of a number of contracts uh, within Circle on the back of corporate renewal. Uh, some indication of that previously. So I've worked across now all the uh, sectors, health, uh, home affairs, justice, uh, etc. Uh, that we have. Um, and indeed, if you look at perhaps where Circo is planning to grow in the future, uh, we have a number of big opportunities. In fact, some we're waiting for. I shouldn't really miss them all, but uh, I was just doing so on the way here. There are three or four large bids that we're waiting results on, uh, and indeed of probably what will be our six or seven largest uh, bids coming up this year, four or five of them will come out of strategic partnerships. This is where commercial in finance and commercial really sits in. The day job of accounting as such, I leave to my head of finance, and indeed her support team, <laughs> as I said. Um, and we have had some good news today, as I've said, the Northern Rail extension, but there are two or three other uh, agreements now which we've reached. Uh, it's been a busy two weeks, um, very busy two weeks, frankly, where further announcements will come out. So uh, I think strategic partnerships in fine form. Uh, Michael mentioned a little bit about uh, my background, mixture of public and private sector, um, uh, but interestingly I think, uh, and I would argue, management accountant gives one an ability to adapt, you can bring various skills to different situations, um, and when I sit down now uh, and look at commercial deals and work with lawyers and, and purely commercial colleagues, um, I go back to the um, legal or other training I got as part of my management accounting qualification. Um, when I left, in fact my job after the uh, Met Police, was to then be the first qualified finance director in the Foreign Office. And I sat on the so-called Board of Management, uh, rather Management Board or Management Committee, they called it Board of Management, reporting to the Permanent Secretary and Head of the Foreign Service at the time, uh, and I was on the Management Board for the Foreign Office um, but after that, as I said, I needed to, and it sort of came to a point where my fixed term contract ended, I'd done what I'd been brought into the Foreign Office to do and complete, uh, etc., which is basically to uh, reform their financial management. Um, having done that, where did I want to move to next? And as I said, I looked to Serca. I was recruited by uh, an individual who, to all intents and purposes, wasn't a management accountant, but probably, in my experience, practiced more management accounting techniques than I've seen in many uh, commercial offices. An individual responsible for completing and indeed securing much of that growth for many of those deals. Um, he would talk about uh, risk, he would talk about three-point assessments, uh, he would balance off uh, commercial uh, risk and uh, various rewards, very good at putting together consortia and partnerships, etc. I learned a lot from him. He decided he no longer wanted to be a managing director. Interesting enough, he, he went off, he went back as a consultant, he had a course to me. So when we had a conversation about what do you want to do next week, his name's also Keith, uh, that can be uh, uh, reasonably amusing, because uh, it used to be the other way around. I joined um, really to help Serco think through different ways of engaging with the um, government here in the UK, particularly in its um, uh, coalition format. Lots of talk about uh, uh, employee ownership, uh, joint ventures, indeed, mutual organisations, and did some work around that. And sooner or later, it wasn't long before Keith then said, We want you to apply this in something called Defence Business Services. The MOD had brought together all its back office functions in the civilian sphere. Uh, created something called business services. Uh, we were bidding to actually put a management team in that. Uh, I was the finance and commercial lead. Uh, we worked with Accenture. Uh, and frankly, we wouldn't have won that without Accenture. But again, you immediately come up, up against the different cultures in those sorts of commercial organisations. Serco actually has a greater appetite for risk. Some of those heavily regulated 
complex uh, uh, arrangements, AWE, Northern Rail, etc., that I described earlier, perhaps you wouldn't take on if you went to a company that could cope with and manage uh, risk and was prepared to deal with that. Accenture, largely a consulting firm, but uh, you know, Michael fees at risk but not charging, etc. Um, we bid that contract on a 100% payment by results model, uh, unheard of uh, up until that time. Uh, frankly, we got no pay as a company unless we delivered uh, what the contractor wanted the MOB. Uh, three and a half years on, actually not quite, it's a four year contract, two of two a bit years on, we've never missed a single KPI in that contract. Uh, the um, senior client, uh, across five measures, gave us five out of five, five being the highest, uh, said it was the best example of, of um, uh, working with the private sector in the MOB. Um, we hoped, I went down as Chief Operating Officer to deliver that uh, particular contract, and we hoped to replicate some of that. I came back to head up a bid for something ten times bigger, running the whole of the UK um, defence estate, uh, represents about one cent of the entire land mass, land mass in the UK. Um, and I was uh, initially, again, the finance and commercial director on that particular bid. Uh, we, can, we partnered in that bid with DTZ, because you needed some property expertise, uh, and indeed an American firm, Bechtel, uh, construction, etc., on the back of the Olympics, and so on and so forth. Uh, I have to say, we were successful. Uh, hugely competitive, we still to uh, receive feedback, um, so we're not preferred bidder and probably won't uh, uh, get taken through unless the current preferred bidder drops out. But there were three consortia, all of us in the sort of mix, um, uh, bidding for that particular operation. Again, uh, even a company as large as Serco didn't have the entire skill set, so they needed to put together a strategic partnership. Uh, and indeed, have the deep pockets, it's one of the uh, challenging things. Frankly, the bid runs on for 9 to 12 months. Uh, as I say, hugely competitive. Uh, people working on these things full time. Um, makes it very difficult for anything but large companies to bid for that sort of scale of uh, operation. Yes, ways of bringing in uh, smaller and medium-sized enterprises. Um, but again, uh, we were in our particular consortia, uh, a third, a third, a third, uh, risk and reward share, um, all in a, we were primed that they would be uh, subs to us, but on that sort of basis, so there was one bed button to poke, uh, and that would be circos. But on that sort of basis, it's very difficult to get um, uh, other companies to, to work on in that sort of way. Elsewhere, we do do some of that. Uh, in our prisons, we work uh, with um, a number of charity and voluntary groups in um, something called National Systems Services. We're building capability in the third sector. Frankly, we have to um, advance some funds, keep them propped up, they get into cash flow problems, etc. Uh, but you need a company, probably with our sort of resources, to be able to keep them going. But they bring something unique. In the case of National Citizen Services, uh, these people work with uh, youngsters. Um, this is the idea that youngsters 16 to 18 do uh, something very useful for the community, and put them back into the community, etc. Part of big society. Um, but uh, uh, an organisation like ours isn't in touch with uh, the youth or youngsters in the UK uh, on, in the way that. Uh, UK youth would be, or organisations that uh, are attached to football clubs or run uh, internationally, uh, or sort of nationally rather, um, uh, youth centres. So it's important we work with those sorts of organisations, but they find that tough with us around the commerciality, around having to deliver things on time, about being held to account, uh, etc. Because of course if we don't deliver, then we don't get paid, by of course the like service credits, um, and indeed, there's a question about how much one flows that down to uh, supporting organisations. In prisons, we run with uh, Catch-22 and other organisations that work with gangs to help uh, uh, reform uh, prisoners uh, and indeed uh, um, uh, bring them back into society. Things that individually within Circa, we don't have that skill set just sitting around on the bench. So we have to go out to others and work out the partnership. 
keep an eye on time uh, a little bit. Um, so I've talked there, I think, a little bit about my experience in what was Defence Business Services and then became Defence Infrastructure Organisation. Uh, and from the back of once we put a bid in for Defence Infrastructure Organisation, uh, you've got a team sitting around largely that uh, uh, many of us worked on a uh, review of a number of contracts, as I say, on the um, uh, on back of corporate renewal, um, making sure that we didn't make the same mistakes again that got us in some of the different government, looking uh, at uh, uh, making sure that we follow all our processes, the circo management system, uh, and that uh, governance in all these uh, were correct. I suppose reflecting uh, back, though, in my move into um, strategic partnerships itself is just how much the role is now corporate governance. Uh, only today, uh, I probably shouldn't say where, uh, but there's been an issue um, around another part of government getting involved in an organisation uh, suggesting that the directors were about to make uh, you know, false statements on uh, the accounts, uh, that they hadn't taken into account um, certain information, etc., um, and those directors actually are directors of that company. You've got to remember that when you're a director, you wear but one hat. You might be employed by Serco, employed by another organisation, etc. So by all means, um, I was quite happy to talk through the issues uh, with, in fact, the finance director and some of the others. But I was very clear, they are the directors. They must take the information out. They'll be signing the letter of representation. They'll be signing off accounts, etc. And the last thing I think they needed was somebody from head office uh, getting stuck in and uh, messing up their corporate governance and more. And I think they appreciated that. So there's an interesting relationship about how one stands back, because they are directors of limited companies or PLCs in their own right, uh, or other entities, um, and they are the ones making the decisions, and they need to do so unfettered. So I'm very clear when I'm sitting on boards. Uh, as a director uh, of a limited company or wherever, that I do so as a director with but one hat on, which is of course the fiduciary duty uh, to that company. Um, another interesting thing, yesterday it was actually a board of Northern Rail meeting, uh, some young came along, presented the uh, governance report, talked about how we'd operated as a, uh, as a board. And I think what we found quite difficult, they measured this against the uh, standard um, code of conduct uh, for boards, the, um, the government's code. But actually, as a joint venture organisation, to Bellio uh, and ourselves, two uh, big organisations, you know, as I said earlier, three directors for each, how far does that corporate code apply to us? They thought we'd gone further than they probably expected us to. So I think, in fact, we did say there's a, a piece of work for somebody to do there, so it, it may be an academic study. We've certainly gone out and, and asked for some work to be done about to what extent does the governance code, the corporate code, apply to joint ventures and joint venture boards. And we're not the only industry. There's um, uh, oil industry and other sort of uh, big capital-intensive industries that come together. Your directors are appointed from the parent. You know, we don't have an appointments committee on Northern Rail, but actually there is a process of appointment, and indeed it needs both uh, shareholders to agree the individuals they're putting on the board. We don't have a remuneration committee as such, because uh, of course people have a day job, there's no remuneration for sitting on these boards as such. It's very difficult to establish precisely how much time we spend, and therefore uh, what remuneration goes in the accounts, and we usually say it's too difficult to put a mill, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, so there are some interesting governance uh, challenges, and I think corporate uh, challenges around that. Uh, and indeed, we haven't up until that point um, uh, reviewed ourselves as a board, as one should do annually, but unanimously around the table, we said, no, that's something we should do. We may be slightly different from the PLC uh, listed company board, but we should review our performance. The chair should say what he or she Things of us, um, we should talk about how we performed and whether or not we could improve. Um, and I think certainly Ernst and Young, the external auditors, were a little surprised at that. But actually, it wasn't surprising for us, uh, and we thought that was the best thing to be doing. Um, and I guess the other thing, as a manager of council, just reflecting on some of these organisations, is 
just how much data, and again, it's probably a private-public sector thing. I've really been quite surprised at the level of detail, the level of analysis, uh, the attention paid to KPIs, uh, the detail that we go into business cases, the risks and opportunities we identify, which actually in a commercial setting uh, and in joint ventures are much more explicit than anything I've ever seen in government. Um, and of course, you could argue, well, that's hardly the nature of uh, commercial organisations, etc., um, and perhaps why they differ from public sector organisations. So an awful lot of attention uh, paid to that. Uh, and indeed, some of the challenges for me, and some of the contracts, of course, is you end up having a statutory accounting regime and a management accounting regime. So your management accounts will reflect, you know, what's going on, uh, how much, uh, you know, what things have actually cost, etc. But of course, you're always looking to report to parents in terms of the financial accounting regime, where uh, their eyes are always on statutory reporting. So amortisation, big costs coming in, and revenue recognition issues come into play. And so we're forever trying to reconcile, you know, a sort of external view of the organisation with the management view of uh, what's happening uh, within those organisations. Um, and I talked a little bit uh, around the nature of uh, strategic partnerships, bringing those uh, resources together, and indeed started to reflect on the role of a management accountant in, in those partnerships. And yes, it's about advice to uh, the managers and the directors, it's about setting budgets, it's about managing risks, as I said, it's about pricing, resource allocation, uh, and so on and so forth. And that's where I'm delighted that, that these are in your pack, because uh, they were a useful way for me in thinking about this talk, just to run through the management accounting principles and say how many of those uh, apply. Um, and right down to Treasury and cash, I spend a lot of time now, also in, in government, worrying about cash, pushing people for cash. Keith Cash Luck is a, a nickname that one of the finance directors has given me. Uh, we were looking at battery things today, etc., uh, and uh, optimising some of the uh, uh, opportunities uh, in that earlier today. So again, one's moving since some fairly technical areas uh, as a management accountant in these sorts of uh, arrangements. But um, probably my biggest contribution is around uh, risk, resource allocation, investment appraisal. Um, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I just want to talk, yes I do, um, a little bit about business life cycle. Uh, we have a model in effect uh, that says, well, you decide whether or not you're going to bid something. So we have a gated process, many organisations do. Uh, and it's surprising how many of the partners we work with have some form of gated decision-making process. And provided you follow that, uh, it really does serve you well. Lessons learned from when we don't follow a proper governance process, uh, I can say. So we, we have the first gate is about big qualification, do we want to go for it or not? Uh, we then have gate two, which is a big or no big decision. Uh, we have a, a, a third gate, which is around has the big uh, solution, and so on and so forth. Um, gate five, uh, or gate four, is probably the most interesting one. That's, um, that's uh, where we sign off the submission and say that the uh, uh, bid director and team can submit the bid. Um, a lot of that, the pricing decision, is always down to the board. Um, can't be the project team, can't be individuals. There's merit in the collectivism of that sort of decision. The right people have to be round the table. And one of the right people is the management council or the finance and indeed supported by others. And, and the bits I described, you know, I'd be a finance and commercial director, but we had a management accountants on that. Uh, we had people, of course, doing all the financial analysis, etc. Uh, and indeed, if we have gates, we also have a process of hats. Um, so we have a, a black hat, which is about challenging decisions. We have commercial black hats, we have finance black hats. Nothing can go forward until they've been challenged. Again, there'll always be a finance person, again, preferably a management accountant, uh, there to challenge those. Blue is a, a sort of an innovation group. Uh, green is uh, what the rest of the market might be doing, what the sort of message white, etc. Red is actually, uh, red teams are a nightmare. 
when your bid is scrutinised, have you actually answered the exam question? Um, does this actually, does this thing read correct? I sat in rooms and red team would come in and said, you wrote this, you put your hand up and you throw it across, it's a bit like me back at school. And said, well, frankly, you know, start again. So that's your weekend run. Um, and we run our uh, business life cycle all the way through to uh, nine, which is exit with excellence. Um, and indeed, on one contract in strategic partnerships, we've got top marks for exiting with excellence. But there is something about saying farewell to uh, an organisational contract after all that time. Uh, and so again, reflecting on the contribution of the management accountant, uh, I think I came up with uh, four Bs and one C. Um, the first B is business understanding. I think what I and my colleagues uh, bring to these strategic partnerships is we understand the business. We spend time being immersed in business, we're in the businesses all the time, uh, and uh, some of the challenges around those businesses and partnerships. My second theme would be a broad skill base. Uh, management accounting, as I said, it's from sort of financial accounting end right through to law and commercial, uh, all of which has stood me in extremely good stead. Uh, and I uh, particularly add in there strategic and influencing skills, and a bit more about that later. I think the third theme for me is beyond spreadsheets. A lot of people are classified, certainly in circuit, as accountants. They're the people that do the spreadsheets, they do the fancy stuff with the numbers, and actually we do talk about management accounts. When I first went down to Defence Business Services as Chief Operating Officer, the Finance Director at the time who was doing my job said, Keith, we need to get certain management accounts. I said, I She said, yeah, but you know, somebody else that's going to be there all the time uh, doing that. It has to be a management account. And, and that's terrific. Uh, because we recognise the skills they bring. Uh, the fourth B, uh, I think, is, uh, is I see management accountants <coughs> business people. First and foremost, uh, now business, as I said earlier, applies to organisations, but there, there's something about being part of the organisation, uh, delivering its mission, uh, being part of its culture and values. Uh, and then the final C, which might not apply in all circumstances, I admit, is a commercial focus. Uh, really trying to understand what the dynamics of risk and reward are and who's sharing the risk and how they are, etc. Many of the contracts and arrangements are all about uh, risk share. Where does risk sit, etc. How do you price for that? How do you mitigate it? How do you deal with it? Um, and then finally, um, as I was thinking about this presentation, uh, a strategic partnership that really comes to mind straight away was Seamus' own joint venture arrangement with our cousins across uh, the Atlantic, the AICPA. It's been an extraordinarily successful arrangement. We've come together, as I hope many of you know, in a joint venture arrangement. We've created an international credential, the Certified Global uh, Management Accountant uh, credential. Uh, AICPA has brought additional funding. In terms of success, we've now got 43,000 CGMAs in the States from a standing start of just under 100 uh, FCMAs or CMAs, uh, sorry, ACMAs uh, in the US after trying to be in that market for some time. We've got other organisations knocking our door down to try and be part of that uh, really game-changing uh, uh, venture. Um, and I think there, SEMA itself has been applying these business and commercial skills. This is a competitive marketplace for the youngsters of the future, delivering what employers want, uh, etc. Um, so I started then, finally, to reflect, uh, or moving on from that, sorry, uh, another finally, to reflect what is it uh, about that arrangement. Uh, and it is that SEMA itself has been adapting to the marketplace. We spend a lot of time looking at what employers want, what do our employees need in order to be successful, to uh, maintain their uh, employability and to do well in their careers. You probably know we revised the syllabus. We've come up with a, a new competency-based uh, model. Uh, and the revisions in the syllabus are themselves, I think, of great interest. Much more there about handling big data. I mentioned earlier just how much data is out there, how much we analyze data, we look at data rooms, we're doing all sorts of uh, 
stuff with that. Um, and I think in circa we're probably only touching the surface, etc. You know, Northern Rail looking at its passenger data, what impacts the national passenger survey? What actually makes a difference? Um, actually, we found uh, a one-minute difference in the timetable made a big difference. Uh, the timetable was published incorrectly with a minute out, and everybody said we were late all the time on our trains. We were delivering to a slightly different timetable than one which was agreed to network rail than the one that published. So we were accused of running late trains all the time. So again, just finding that data was a real nugget for us. We can only do that through uh, some quite detailed analytics. Uh, secondly, in our syllabus revision, we've moved to a modern finance function. I talked about, you know, I don't have a great uh, number of staff, and in fact, uh, Circo's a slightly odd place where people can almost work wherever they want, uh, wherever on the phone or emails or whatever. Um, you don't have to be in a physical place. If ever a meeting is set up, there's always a conference number attached to it, uh, and it's accepted that people won't physically be there. Our shared service centre, as I say, is part of our uh, business processing uh, organisation, Circo Global Services, uh, offshore. But I think more importantly, when you look at the service, the things we have here, uh, again, very important for practitioners, are influencing skills and leadership skills. And these are the things that I think will make a difference. I can do all the analysis I want, but unless I can influence my colleagues, unless I can uh, influence the board, or a gate, or a black hat, uh, to uh, make the right decision, or indeed have the leadership to uh, bring the right group of people together uh, and make things happen, then I'll be wasting my time uh, playing on Excel. So I think those uh, skills that uh, we're promoting make um, seem globally relevant uh, and uh, incredibly important. And I suppose final thought from me uh, was that I was a geographer uh, as a, an undergraduate, did my degree in geography, a, a very broad subject uh, that could almost be anything, um, uh, and indeed many other subjects have flown from it, as I'm sure you're aware. But management accounting is so broad, you're not a specialist in any one area unless you want to be, I've been on the corporate treasury uh, for a while, um, but it's that breadth that I think has stood me in good stead, and I think our management accountants, when they're in business, working in partnership with others, and if they have these influences skills and leadership skills more and more than before, then I think our management accountants will be ever more successful. And I should finish there, Chair. Thank you. Thank you. I should point out, of course, that uh, the distinguished uh, practitioner is um, uh, um, usually from one of our sponsors one year and the other sponsor the other year. And um, they, they see that, 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 that approach seems to have gone down very well um, because, you know, it, uh, there is a slight tendency of each group to sort of rather favour their past, shall we say. Um, yes. Anyway, now, uh, we have a very short time because we don't want to... Uh, um, Rob, you have any time for your buffet... Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, as I understand it, for many people, our buffet is the high point of the whole thing. But that's just people who are not really academically or, or practitionally inclined. Okay, um, a couple of questions? Yeah. Sure. Professor, Professor Bromwich and Keith Locke, yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm a chartered accountant and there are a few of us here with uh, the letters ACA, FCA, or CA. And um, with due respect to you, you know, the, the, the term management accountant and, and what you, what, what, what you uh, elucidated just now that you did in, in various jobs, I mean, we chartered accountants still can do those jobs that you've done. Uh, and, and, and I think that there's always a tension. I mean, for me, when I hear management accountant, I say, hang on a minute, you know, I'm a chartered accountant. I can do that job too, or I can do that role. Uh, would you yeah. care to comment uh, on that, please? Thank you. I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, I have to say, though, that <coughs> my 
tiny perspective is the space of the management accountants is anything that is in the CFO's purview. It's in business, it's in the organisation, financial accountant, small bit, uh, if you like, but it's statutory reporting, uh, and it's audit, and it's um, tax. Yeah, it's, the management accounting space is quite large, and has traditionally, I think, been occupied by financial accountants who've trained as auditors, or been in practice, and then come into commerce and business. I came straight in, I wanted to be a management accountant, I wanted to be part of uh, organisations to begin with, and to bring in financial expertise, etc., and to develop that in depth. I think the first one that said on tax and other issues, I do look to experts, uh, and the law and other areas. Uh, but the management accounting space is very much that which exists under the CFO of these organisations. It's what the CFO does. And indeed, the CFOs are the senior management accountants of our profession. Yeah. And that will increasingly change. I think you'll see uh, through CGMA that people will come out of, well, in fact, there's another group of people in management schools are not accountants as such, they've got an MBA, they're frustrating, they do these roles. I think increasingly you see those people do CGMA. This will be a globally recognised uh, credential and qualification <coughs> that people will want to do, that wherever you go, my wife actually uh, spends quite a bit of time in the States. She went across to some what that was. She now goes there as a CGMA. They say, oh, we know about CGMAs. Well, well, I think we'll see the industry change. I mean, it is true, isn't it, that um, a large number of uh, chartered accountants are, in fact, finance directors of large companies. So, you know, there's a bit of give and take in everything. You know, it's not really a branding exercise as such. I mean, my feeling very much is the profession actually ought to come together rather more and protect itself. Uh, but that's, an, that's another subject. Can we have a question that is not necessarily on management accounting? Uh, as, uh, management accountants as such. Hi, Carl Allen. Uh, comment on a question. Comment. Um, I was once asked by a business owner who just came across it to management accounting to do an account for him of the political value and the social value and the environmental value of his business. So he, heard, he barely heard the term management accountant and he interpreted it in that way. He moved away from the legal definition of financial value. Uh, the question, how is the integrity and the FSC of the hats in your organization, how is it protected? Of the which organization? The in, in circle. You talked about the hats. Oh, the people, yeah. How is your integrity protected against very senior management trying to influence what they do? Yes. So there's a very strict code about uh, the operation of particularly black hats where um, people leave their seniority at the door. Um, and there are a number of apocryphal stories. In fact, I've been in various meetings where it's not so apocryphal, where a fairly junior member of staff is able to and permitted to challenge and indeed the peer dynamic allows that to happen, a much more senior individual. Um, the people that will make the pricing decision and some of the final go-no-go -no -go decisions are not part of the HAT process. They will be uh, from outside a division, from outside of the bid, but with similar related knowledge that they bring into that room and indeed often include people outside of the company. Um, so a really good way of challenging. Um, in the review of uh, projects I was doing, we, we ourselves, uh, black-hatted, challenged um, our findings. You know, are these going to stand up to robust uh, review? A colleague of mine who hadn't been as used to this process in another part of Circo, he'd come from IT, uh, where they hadn't quite had this process in the same way that the commercial side does, actually left the room almost in tears because he wasn't used to that sort of sense of challenge and nothing personal... But, frankly, where's your evidence? Where's your findings? How can you say that? You know, this goes up to, in fact, we're working for the chairman. He comes back with a question. The entire uh, argument you put could fall apart unless we have the answer. So where is it? Uh, he found it very, very challenging. 
um, but colleagues were, and, and actually he was as senior as I am, um, and it was more junior colleagues. Uh, it, we just needed to say, well, you know, welcome to the black cap process, and uh, he then joined in with vigour in due course. Okay. Um, why? Why? Just for my interest. Why don't you just simply take over your partners? Ah, scale. Very often. You know, uh, or, or who are the partners? You know, the idea that Accenture would be somebody we'd take over. Uh, these are big companies and big organisations in their own right. Uh, very often not for sale. Or indeed, there are particular attributes that we're sharing and collaborating on, uh, and competing in other areas. Um, Bechtel is a privately owned US company. And in fact, the accounting arrangements uh, lead to different risk arrangements, which lead to different perspectives uh, for these organisations as well. An American-based organisation can be very harder, much harder, because of the risk uh, issues to bring into a partnership. But we found ways around that. But presumably there's more to it than simply saying, we don't have this expertise, and they do. Uh, there must be much more. So it can be route to market. It can be, uh, you know, things like uh, us with Abellio. Uh, they run buses. They run rail services in um, Holland uh, and Denmark uh, and indeed Germany. Uh, Serco was new to the heavy rail market, but actually uh, knew how to transform organisations, took uh, different organisations uh, had a very strong service culture. So you're bringing together a, a partner that has knowledge, uh, subject matter expertise in the industry with a transformational expertise. The thing that Serco would say it's, it's transformational expertise is around uh, being able to um, uh, make organisations more efficient and effective. Okay. Um, there's one over there. I think that may better be the last one. Okay, yeah. Uh, presumably, the performance of the um, of, of, of the contracts, of the um, partnerships you have, is dependent on the sort of charging mechanism. Um, so, do you have a sort of standardised way of charging? Is it a sort of fixed fee, or do you do you sort it out for each particular partnership? And and sort of ongoing again, the performance of it. What sort of time horizon do you use for monitoring the performance? If there's if it's not a fixed element, but if it's sort of variable, is it weekly? Is it monthly? And and how do you make certain that those numbers are right and respond to them? Yes, uh, a range of questions in there. Some of the partnerships, uh, AWE is nearly a well, so over a 20-year contract, uh, so that's very long-term, so best you get on well with your partners over the long-term. Uh, people will change, uh, circumstances will change. Uh, others are for three or four years, um, and then maybe we'll collaborate again on a rebid or an extension or, or propose something else to the customer. The uh, pricing mechanism, the pricing and performance mechanisms, are very often dictated by the customer. Uh, they're often very complex. Uh, in dialogue and negotiation, it's our job to try and understand those as suppliers. Uh, and then there are challenges about whether or not those key performance indices or contract delivery indicators, there are a whole variety of names for them, uh, are things that are properly measured, uh, not uh, adjusted improperly, uh, that can be relied on to bill and so on and so forth. Very often we take over performance systems that are not designed for uh, um, billing um, uh, and have particular challenges uh, around that as well. Um, uh, I think that's a sort of short answer to what can be a very long question. Actually, I probably ought to come back to, I, I did just think, so for example, in Northern Rail, where we've been there 22 months, I talked about what does Serco bring to that. Product, uh, punctuality was 84% 22 months ago, or sorry, in December 2005, it's now 90%. Fleet reliability has doubled. Passenger numbers are up from... Uh, uh, 63 million to 94 million, you know, the, and, and that's the sort of bit which Serco adds. We're very uh, good at defining uh, that service improvement customer uh, focus that we bring. Uh, and the public performance measure, uh, the, the carriages and things are not brilliant because, of course, the government haven't been prepared to invest in upgrading those, but 91%, which again is above the national average. Uh, so very often one is penalised for not performing. They tend to be a, a floor rather than a ceiling. There are mechanisms where you can gain share and indeed sometimes you can offset good performance with poorer performance 
rolling measures help with that, uh, etc. Um, and indeed, on customer and client side, it's quite an art form to get the right payment and uh, performance incentive mechanism in place. Um, uh, and that's again where I've been very uh, heartened by Circo's values, uh, working collaboratively with the customer. Uh, you can gain some of these exercises. Uh, and indeed, I think where we came unstuck a bit is where uh, practices went what they should have been, and both customer and client at the more junior level uh, knew things were going on that, frankly, when you stood back from them, shouldn't have been uh, happening. Right. Um, I think, really, in some ways, we could go on for a very long while, because uh, I think we're beginning now to ask quite detailed questions. Um, if you can ask detailed questions whilst drinking, yeah. fine by me. Um, OK, can I thank Keith Luck? Thank you.